Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Samit Makajani of Easy Living Communities. But before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Having grown up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Samit is the principal and co-founder of Easy Living Communities, a real estate investment company that focuses on mobile home parks in the Midwest and Southeast. Founded in 2020, ELC currently owns six mobile home parks in four states with approximately 300 lots. His other real estate experience includes a 96-unit multifamily ground-up development in the Omaha, Nebraska market uh, that received recently its certificate of occupancy uh, just this past month. And uh, he also has invested in some commercial retail So Samit completed his master's in real estate degree from Georgetown University in 2019. And prior to entering the real estate field, he worked as a reconstructive plastic surgeon for the last 10 years and still works part-time as a surgeon. Samit, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, uh, Andrew. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to learn about your your business and learn about your story. Maybe you could start there and just kind of Tell us how you got into manufactured housing. Yeah, so um, you know a lot of that was in the introduction, but uh, grew up in Tennessee and you know had a had a one track mind to be a, a physician uh, my whole life. And uh, basically, when I, I loved my pediatrician and thought, okay, I want to be a pediatrician. So that was my kind of original uh, entry into in, into the career. And got through medical school and realized I did not enjoy being a pediatrician or, or thought I would ever be one. So I, I, I kind of pivoted and went into plastic surgery, which was something I really loved uh, doing and kind of putting people back together and making them whole. So that was my, really my motivation for getting into plastic surgery and, um, you know, did that, completed my residency, it took me about six years to do that, and then have been working full-time ever since. So I've, in my 10th year of practice, and uh, was full-time up to January of this past year when I went part-time for the first time. But to kind of answer your question about how I got into the mobile home park space, met my business partner about 10 years ago, uh, but we weren't really doing much in terms of real estate uh, until about five years ago when we started doing uh, multifamily development. That was our first deal together. And then about uh, last summer, he, he's in 2020, he said to me, you know, I think we should think about mobile home parks. And it was not an area I had ever considered when I was doing my my master's degree or, you know, I thought I was going to be a real developer. I mean, that's kind of what I was preparing myself. And we did that one development together. I thought we would just do developments from here on out. And he kind of had always been thinking about mobile home parks. So I have to give a lot of the credit of getting into this business to my business partner. Uh, but he, he mentioned it to me in summer of 2020 and I said, okay, well, I'm open-minded to anything really. And, you know, you've always kind of led me in the right direction, uh, in terms of what we look and do. So I, I, I committed to it. And, um, like a lot of people who get into mobile home parks did, uh, Frank Rawls boot camp, which, uh, you know, is kind of 
I think probably what most people do when they start thinking about mobile home parks pretty seriously. And then we formed Easy Living Communities, um, you know, last summer and bought our first park in November, 2020. Wow, that is fantastic. So, I mean, six parks in a matter of a year, you know, yeah. that, is, that is some pretty, pretty fast pace you guys are growing at. Um, maybe tell us about that. What have been some of your struggles you know, through that ramp up process, you know, with management, with acquisitions, everything. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times you have a theoretical idea of what things are going to be like when you start getting into any kind of asset class. And um, we knew apartments pretty well, but didn't know much about the mobile home park space outside of, you know, kind of the theory that we had learned in the boot camp and got into our first park really through a broker relationship that we had had for many, many years. And um, just kind of timing was everything in that, in that park. It was an off market deal that, you know, we got through this one broker who had never really had a park in his whole career. He had a 30 year commercial, uh, you know, real estate business, but had never done a mobile home park. And just, you know, we kind of mentioned it to him. We were getting to the mobile home park space. He said, I had this off market deal that I just got approached, you know, with, and, we made that happen in November of 2020. And then that kind of led to a second park uh, through a broker in his office, uh, a third park we got through an appraiser that we knew. Um, and then a fourth park came through a previous broker relationship when we were looking at apartments more seriously. So that was kind of the first four parks. And then park five and six came through another broker in a different state that we had formed a relationship with. So um, you know, some have been on market or all have been off market, actually, um, which has been really fortunate for us. But we've just kind of, I think, been lucky with timing and relationships. And, you know, that can be something I bring up over and over again, Andrew. And you know how true it is, is that so much of this is, you know, just being at the right place, at the right time and knowing the right people. So, yeah, it seems like you've done a good job, you know, cultivating broker relationships. Is that something that, you know, comes from you or your partner and, uh you know, is that something you'd recommend, you know, for, for other operators out there? I would. Yeah. I, I think brokers hold a lot of keys, um, you know, keys to, to success. And, um, you know, we're very fair to our brokers that we work with. We, we believe we treat them well and uh, compensate them accordingly. And, uh, you know, we think that that they're really important to, to our growth and they've been really, it's really been a big part of it. Um, in terms of, you know, you asked me a question, I'll, I'll go back to one thing you asked me, you know, struggles as we've grown. I think when we got into the first park, the first park was almost a pretty ideal park to start with, just really needed a lot rent increases, but it was fully occupied, beautiful, gorgeous park, um, you know, probably the, one of the nicest parks in the city that we're in. And, you know, so that one really wasn't a heavy lift or it wasn't infill or it wasn't, you know, kicking out a bunch of people. It was a really just a setup for success type park. And so that one really wasn't a lot to, to do on the, on the front end, but as we've gotten more parks, there is more work that we've had to come, come across, you know, um, to, to get right the ship, so to speak. So, you know, learned a lot of lessons in those uh, six parks and, um, you know, managing them. We, my partner and I managed them pretty much, you know, with that, with our managers on the ground, we're pretty much uh, oversee them. And, you know, we're kind of pretty much it uh, in terms of the management, you know, you're talking to them. So. Wow. So you guys self-manage now you and your partner in the on-site. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We've done it that way since the beginning and just um, have just always felt most comfortable with that and haven't really third party managed any of our parks, but uh, you know, 
I know there are people who do that. Definitely. I remember those days, you know, cause you're, you're growing, right. But you need a certain amount of parks, right. You need to, yes. you need to hit a certain threshold to be able to hire someone to come yes. help you out. Yes. So I, I self-managed, I didn't have a partner. I self-managed my first five parks and then, you know, slowly hired on after that. But now that we have 33 parks, you know, it's like a whole organization, just sure. a management company is, yes, and, yes. you know, it's a lot more streamlined and, and it's just a whole different, uh, different game, but that six parks is a tough, it's a tough number. And I'm sure yeah. it's, especially if you're still doing surgeon work on the side, I'm sure that it takes quite a bit of time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I tell people about like kind of two full-time jobs in many <laughs> ways, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty fortunate where I work that, you know, I've been given the opportunity to work kind of half time and I, you know, I work two days or sorry, two weeks a month and uh, as, as a plastic surgeon, then two weeks a month full-time in our business. But even when I'm working as a plastic surgeon, my evenings and weekends are, are occupied with our park business. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a two, uh, two full-time jobs. Uh, you are right. We're in that kind of intermediate stage where we're a little bit too small to have a ton of employees, but, you know, getting to that cusp of being able to hire somebody, which would definitely take off a lot of things off my plate, which is, you know, what we deal with day to day. Definitely. With the management, you know, tell me about some of your struggles there. I mean, you mentioned infill briefly, you know, collections, and then uh, maybe, maybe we could start there. Like, you know, what have, what have those look like? So when you take over a park, as you know, there's kind of things the way they've always been done at those parks. Uh, and sometimes they've been done that way for 20 years or 15 years. So oftentimes you're taking over a park where collections have been done a certain way. Uh, tenant screening has been done a certain way. Uh, renting out homes has been done a certain way. And then you kind of come in and try to do things your own way. And one of the things that we have found um, is, you know, being the only there's two of us uh, kind of doing this as a manager, we, we have to really rely on technology and we have to rely on uh, communicating with our managers directly. So we focus a lot on on collections, of course, because that's really the lifeline of the business. And, you know, we've moved uh, very fast to advance our technology as much as it will allow us and the tenants will you know abide by. So, you know, we, 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 at the beginning, when we start taking over a park, people are paying with money orders and cash and credit cards and all different ACH and they're paying all different ways. And we've kind of streamlined it to ACH and cash pay. And, um, you know, and we're doing that through our software program and having people pay at retailers, big box retailers, so that it kind of prevents me from having to try to find if they've paid, if they haven't paid, how much they paid, all that kind of stuff. Is that, uh, do you guys use rent manager? We use rent manager, um, pay lease, pay lease, and have found that to be really helpful and maybe use that too. Yes. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, that, that, saves. Was a, that was a game changer for us yeah, because absolute game changer. Yeah. You know, you're at Frank and Dave's bootcamp. He's, he's like, Oh, you know, everybody can pay with cash or no cash, but just check and money orders. And that's right. what we started out. But then at a certain point, we were like, we have so many checks and money orders <laughs> coming in. It's, yeah. You got to have someone just to like go through all of those and document right. everything. So the pay lease was a huge deal. I mean, that was like either we hire someone to just do that or we <laughs> use pay lease. And right. it was a no brainer. So. Right, right. Yeah. So that that's kind of how we found things to be early on. I mean, we didn't wait 10 years to implement it, thank goodness. But we, we figured out pretty quickly that that's going to be something we have to implement. And you know, we really don't want our managers handling a lot of cash. It's not safe for them or, you know, the business, frankly. So 
you know, we found Paylease, uh, you know, it's kind of very into the nitty gritty here, but we found Paylease to be something that has been very beneficial uh, to our business. So I'd say that's been a big, you know, help and relief as we've grown. Um, again, we rely on technology. We do kind of all the same things a lot of owners are doing with technology in terms of driving the parks with cameras, um, you know, so we can see kind of every other week what the park is looking like, uh, making adjustments as necessary, um, you know, handling all our applications or online, going through the credit and the criminal history, all through, you know, third-party screeners. Um, so all that stuff we've tried to, you know, kind of fine tune as we keep growing to make our lives a lot easier. Tell me about that software, you know, outside of rent manager and pay lease, like what other softwares do you guys use? Because two people to manage six parks, uh, you, you know, I'm sure you guys have some good systems in place. Well, we're getting there. I mean, we're not, we're not at perfection and I don't think we ever will be, but we keep trying to learn as we go. And um, one of the things that we've implemented is just, you know, tenant screening through um, website apartments.com. They handle kind of all the, the basic tenant screenings. We just send tenants uh, an online kind of form and they fill it out and they pay a fee to, to apartments and, we don't really ever have to touch money or handle, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, we get a criminal history, a credit history, um, you know, that we get references, we get their monthly amounts that they make and, and that sort of thing, or employers, et cetera. So that, that has saved us some time in terms of applicants. Um, we've handled kind of all payables uh, through Avid Exchange, which is a, mm. a, a program that, um, you know, you, you, you yourself can submit the invoices or the vendors can submit the invoices through um, Avid uh, portal. And then we just log in every so often and kind of do a few uh, clicks. And before you know it, a check's being processed um, or they get kind of like a credit card payment out to, uh, to those vendors. So that had, I used to, you know, I used to do the kind of mom and pop way of doing things. You'd get the bill in the mail, you'd write the check, you'd document it, you'd enter it. So, you know, that took time and it still takes time to go through Avid. Don't get me, get me wrong, but it's a lot more sophisticated. It's all, it's all historically kept, um, goes right into our software and rent manager. So that's, that's also been very helpful. You use, you guys use rent manager for the accounting side of things. We do. We do. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So we, hit, are, that's one thing that's pretty cool about rent manager is all the, you know, the APIs to other softwares like mm -hmm. pay lease, like Avid exchange, like, mm -hmm. uh, we use Amrent for the mm -hmm. uh, background check process, and that's yeah. been pretty good for us. So. Yeah, and something we may switch to. I mean, now that you're telling me about that, I'll look into it. But you know, we we we're always open to new new ways of doing things and new technology because it really is helpful for for you know just the two of us. Totally, totally. Um, Samit, tell me this: What are the most important things passive investors? You know, we're talking limited partners here. What do they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks, knowing what you know today? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I've invested as a limited partner in apartments previously. That was my own, that's really been my only um, experience. I invest in all of our parks. So all six of our parks I'm invested in and some of them very heavily so. So I'm also an LP in all our parks. Uh, so I always tell people who are LPs, you know, what they should be looking for is number one, you should get to know the operator. Um, the general partner. That's I think that's critical. I mean, spend some time with them, get to know them, uh, see if it's a right cultural fit, see if you guys have the same values, see if there's kind of the same, um, you know, I guess expectations from that person. 
So the first person I ever invested with as a limited partner, I, I literally wanted to get into real estate so bad. I just called called this person up and said, I'm ready to invest with you and did not know anything about them, <laughs> uh, which is not how I would really recommend you know, going forward. Now that's turned out fine and all, but uh, all of our investors at the beginning were friends and family. So they knew us for many, many decades in certain situations. And so for them, you know, the, the trust was already there. Our reputation was already made. Um, you know, they had faith in us. But I have, we've picked up investors that I didn't know very well, frankly, uh, when we started. So for those people, it's just, we get to know them. They get to know us. We, again, we tell them our, our story, our vision, um, how we see our business growing. So I think the first thing I would tell any person interested in passively investing is get to know the operator, get to know the markets that they're interested in investing in and why they're investing in those markets. And then kind of make sure you understand the game plan moving forward or the business plan. So, you know, one of the things I'm sure you and I will talk about is, you know, what maybe separates us from maybe other operators is that I think we have a very long-term horizon with all our properties. So when, when people come and invest with us, they know we're looking at things decades plus kind of holds um, with strategic refinancing. So we're not necessarily ready to turn and flip properties every two, three, four, five years. That's not kind of our game plan. So our investors kind of have a long-term horizon just like we do. So that's kind of, I think, something that you'll have to determine with your passive investors is do they want their money back in a year, two years, five years? What kind of equity multiple are they looking for? Do they want to hold things for a long-term? Do they want to hold things for the short-term? What's their appetite for leaving their money in a deal for a longer period or, or not? So I think that's another important thing. So those are kind of some high level things I think a passive investor should look for when they're looking at their you know person they want to spend their money with. Yeah, I mean those are three great uh, great reasons you know great ways to start. I want to go back to know the markets you know because mm-hmm. I know you guys are in the southeast and the Midwest, which are right. very different markets. Yeah. So tell me about your strategy behind that and you know where you see. Uh, you know, where you see yourselves in the future as you look to continue to acquire? I think we started in the Midwest because we knew those markets well. I mean, I went to college at Creighton University in Omaha. So I knew Mm. the Omaha market. I knew the Midwest. I'd been there for many years, six years. My business partner had been there for seven years. So between us, we had about 13 years of combined experience living in the Midwest. And we knew those markets pretty well. And so that was an area of comfort. And, um, you know, we knew that maybe there was more value to be had in the Midwest than maybe a coastal city. And uh, my business partner, you know, and I would love to be in Phoenix, Arizona, or, you know, some, some place, Seattle, Washington, or Portland, Oregon, or places like that. But we know that, that, you know, the opportunity for two new guys starting in this business was small in those kind of aggressive markets where prices are extremely high. So we focused on parts of the country where maybe things were a little bit underappreciated. And having lived in Omaha for 13 years between the two of us, we knew that there's a lot of potential that people just don't really appreciate. I mean, they think of them as flyover states. And I think maybe the word is getting out, of course, but you know, still there's a lot of, I guess, from national players, they don't really see the value in certain markets more than others. So we started in the Midwest and that was kind of our focus. And I grew up in the Southeast, as you mentioned in my introduction. And so I, I love the Southeast a lot. I love the markets there, great weather, population uh, migration, job migration. So you see a lot of positives going towards the Southeast. And 
um, you know, we, we wanted to be in that part of the country. So I think that was the, the focus for us was Midwest and Southeast was basically because of our backgrounds. And we knew that there were markets that we could probably grow in. Very cool. I love that. Yeah. I went to, I went to college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is just down the road from Omaha and yeah. I love the Omaha market. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually own a park just outside of, uh, Omaha, a couple of them, one in Norfolk and one in uh, Denison, Iowa. Okay. Uh, over okay. there, Norfolk, yeah. Nebraska, but yeah, great market. And like, like you said, it just gets overlooked, I think by, uh, which is part of the reason that we're there, right? It, it gets overlooked by some of the big hedge funds and the, the, the private equity groups that just have a lower cost of capital. So sure. Sure. And better yeah. return metrics there. I mean, I can't say I blame them. If you had the opportunity to be in Phoenix or you had the opportunity to be in, you know, Orlando or something, I mean, they're probably those coastal type markets, et cetera. I think they're going to, you know, flock towards those areas naturally because things look the prettiest there and they're, you know, they're, they're well-developed and all that. So, I mean, I understand. Yeah. And, you know, like you you said, you're going to pay a premium and some of these big REITs and otherwise their return, you know, expectations are, are lower than, right. Right. New, new guys on the block. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, Samit, tell me about what you think is like the perfect mobile home park. What does that look like in your eyes? Like if you're, if you could just drop one out of the sky, the perfect mobile home park, what's, what does it look like for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, some people go around, they try to find the nicest home in the neighborhood and they, they look at that with like on luster. I look at like mobile home parks in that same way. You know, if I see like this beautiful (laughs) mobile home park, you know, that's where I find my awe and luster. So um, I've seen a few. I mean, they're out there. There's 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 no doubt. Um, you know, we feel like we own one of them, I'd say like pretty, pretty good, which is our first park. I mean, we think that's kind of a really great situation. But, you know, that our first park we bought was only 46 pads or 46 lots. And, you know, the ideal one would be, you know, a 200 or something pad park. And, and there's some beautiful ones I've seen in the Midwest as well. But you know, all kind of tenant owned homes, beautiful spacing, great density, great yard, landscaping, uh, beautiful entrance, uh, just sidewalks. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on. Uh, Andrew, you stop me when you're tired of hearing of it, but, you know, just kind of has this neighborhood look. I mean, I always tell it's like a neighborhood that's a mobile home park. You know, I think that to me has always been kind of um, what I've always envied when I've driven around uh, certain parks around the country. Um, and just seeing them, you know, face to face, it's just, there's those just parks that look like, you know, any, like any neighborhood. Yeah. Subdivisions. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, well-organized, well thought out, well laid out, um, great density, good parts of town, uh, next to a bunch of retail that, you know, people can access. Um, so th- those kind of, that's kind of like my high level way of looking at a, a great mobile home park. Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of that. Tell me, tell me about your current portfolio, you know, where, yeah. Uh, where are your six parks? How big are they? What kind of utility setup do they have? You know, would love to hear about your opinion on park owned homes versus tenant owned homes. Uh, sure. Sure. If you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So we have six parks. Um, one is in, uh, we have two in South Dakota, uh, two in the home, Omaha Metro, and then two in South Carolina. So that's our uh, portfolio. Um, we basically focus on sub hundred pad parks. Uh, not that we wouldn't love to have a hundred plus pad park. We absolutely would, would take, take that if we could, but we found that we were kind of most competitive in that sub hundred pad count just, uh, you know, starting out. So our parks kind of range from that 40 pad 
size to 68 is our biggest one. And we're all on public utilities with the exception of two parks, which are on public water, but have uh, septics. So very cool. We're at in South Dakota. I love that market. Yeah, we're in Sioux Falls and Rapid City. So two of the larger cities in South Dakota. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, that's those are great markets. Very yeah, cool. yeah. We've been we've been fortunate. Yeah. Tell me about park-owned homes versus tenant-owned homes. Yeah. So park-owned homes, you know, um, I think our our business plan. Uh, I think for us being, you know. We don't really have the infrastructure to support a ton of park-owned homes, so we we tenant we definitely prefer tenant-owned homes. Um, we think people take a little bit more pride in ownership. There's less turnover. Um, they they want to make their place typically look beautiful and um, more appealing. So we we definitely favor uh, tenants owning their own home, and we support that. We have we have our park in South Carolina, which we bought with uh, park-owned homes. We've tried to convert that. Um, into tenant-owned homes. So that's a, a process we're doing right now, actually. And, uh, you know, again, it's just so we could have long-term rent, long-term, you know, uh, tenants. And we just didn't, you know, the, the turnover was is, is quite a lot, you know, with park-owned homes. Yeah, no, definitely. But, you know, if you find a good market and you yes. turn over at a good rate, you know, that's a huge win. Yeah, you know, yeah Not absolutely. having to infill that many homes. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of infill, maybe you can tell me about your biggest infill project that you guys have, have executed. Have you guys done any of that? Yeah. So all the parks we've bought have been um, fairly stabilized with the exception of our South Dakota, South Dakota parks. And it's not because that there's not a demand for those, uh, that kind of housing in South Dakota. It's just that when we bought the parks, they were, you know, basically half full or less than half, you know, or less than fully stabilized. So our park in Sioux Falls, um, you know, when we bought the park, um, it's about 55 pads. We bought it, had 38 occupied. And immediately we thought we need to infill this park as best we can. And we, we called all the major suppliers for mobile homes and found that the, the waiting time, as you know, Andrew, is quite long. And uh, they were telling us about a year out. So we thought, well, we'll order two homes with the anticipation they'll be here in a year. And in the meantime, let's just hope that we can fill them, you know, with used homes or, or, or maybe some organic move-ins. And, you know, we've had six organic move-ins in, in the first three months we bought the park and um, just really fortunate in that way. Didn't have to pay a dime, honestly, for any of the six. movements. Six, yeah. In three months. In three months, yeah. You're going to have to give me the, the, the secrets. What, yeah. what, that I, I, is some type of record right there. It, it might be. I, I don't know. I mean, I, what was happening around us in Sioux Falls was that there was a lot of other parks that were closing and wow. they were being redeveloped for other uses. Um, and so we actually had a, a bunch of people reach out to us because Sioux Falls market is really strong and a lot mm -hmm. of parks don't have vacancy. So we actually had vacant pads and, and people were willing to move themselves into our park, you know? So um, that has worked out well for us. We still have those two homes we ordered are still waiting to, to show up and, and they'll show up next year probably. But that's kind of been our biggest infill project need so far. And, you know, like I said, we've been pretty fortunate that we've kind of had people want to move in on their own. 
So we own a park over in Vermilion and we mm-hmm. had some yeah. organic move-ins as well. I think we had three, which we were mm-hmm. really excited about, but not six. <laughs> um, so I have to ask, would you be interested in selling that park in Sioux Falls? Um, yeah, we've talked about it. You know, any, any, anything is up for sale. I mean, although our game plan is to keep things long-term, um, we definitely have an open True. mind to offers as they come and we, we take them all seriously. So. Okay. Well, I get first dibs. <laughs> sure. Sure. You can. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I love the Sioux Falls market. I went to Augustana university there. It's a small private, uh, school and Lutheran school and yeah, just great market. It's growing so tremendously. I go up there a couple of times a year, mm-hmm. um, have a lot of friends from college that still live there and they just got a huge Amazon distribution center yeah. built in Sioux Falls. So sure. Yeah, yeah. I love that market. You probably know Mike Orr. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's sure the, do broker yeah he's a he's a good guy yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you this Samit uh, where do you see the economy going and how do you how do you see mobile home parks faring I mean there's a lot of inflation happening right now uh, there's there's talks of the dollar and and you know it not being the reserve currency you know what what do you what do you see happening over the next say one to five years and how do you see mobile home parks faring through that? Yeah, I mean, so we, we, we don't know the future, of course, and we, I think so much of our business relates to interest rates. So I, I don't know really what the future of interest rates will hold. I mean, I've heard a lot of speculation that they will stay relatively stable for the next year or two. But then after that, you know, what they'll look like in five years, I have no idea. So what we're, you know, what we've always tried to do is, is kind of get into long-term fixed debt type um, vehicles for all our parks. And that way we can kind of ride the inflationary wave or the, or the wave that may come up and down with um, interest rates over time. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people are doing the same thing, but we're happy to be in the mobile home park space. I mean, frankly, uh, we've been, we're in the apartment space too, um, in our other business. And, you know, I like mobile home parks better, frankly, uh, comparatively, because I see day to day what the need is for, uh, affordable housing. And uh, it's really hard to beat um, some of the pricing that we're seeing, you know, for people to live in a mobile home park. Um, you know, most of these people own their own homes, as you know, and uh, really to pay three to $400 or whatever your market may be, um, you know, for a month to live is, is really affordable for a lot of people. And, um, you know, we feel like if everything, you know, goes crazy. We're, we're happy to be in the mobile home park business because we feel like we're providing a service and it's a very affordable service uh, for people. And really there may not be other options uh, for a lot of folks. So happy to be in the mobile home park business, like I've said, and you know, we will continue to try to be in that. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, what do you think, Samit, is like the worst case scenario, you know, for, for mobile home parks? You know, like a lot of investors ask me, you know, hey, what's what's the worst case scenario where I would lose all of my investment? You know, they ask yeah. about like if a tornado Tornadoes, comes through yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. You know, what do you think that worst case scenario is? Well, you know, I've heard I, mean, I get that I get that question all the time. You know, what happens if a tornado comes through the park? And you know, frankly, thankfully, don't have a personal experience with that. But you know, based on our mentor, com mentor, and you know, he's had one uh, where a park was totally destroyed. And, and I think it actually worked out decently well for him um, because, uh, you know, pe- agencies stepped in and provided support to those who had lost their homes. And, you know, there is insurance out there for loss of income to the park owner for a period of time, which, you know, we carry. So 
that is something that we try to keep in mind at all times is, you know, what is the worst case scenario? I think next to a tornado destroying the home, you know, one of the things that keeps me up at night is what if I had to replace the whole infrastructure of the park. Um, so re redoing all the water and sewer, because a lot of times we get into these parks and they've been mom and popped for 50 years and nobody's really paid any attention to leaks or maybe they didn't have the technology that we have now to find leaks. So, you know, one of the things we, we do at all our parks is we immediately submeter all the homes. And that's not only to keep people more responsible with their water usage and more, uh, you know, but it also provides evidence of leaks in the park, which you necessarily, or in the home. So you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you added a meter to the home, frankly. And people would be shocked at how much water is wasted with a running toilet. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no idea. I mean, I've probably had running toilets in places I've lived my whole life and did not give it much consideration. But when you actually see the numbers and the amount of money that is wasted on a running toilet, it will blow your mind. Yeah. Um, and so, you can fix it with what? Is it three yeah. bucks for a yeah. new flapper? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's something that people, if they're not paying their own water bill, would just let go on and on and on. You'd be shocked how many people would just let a running toilet go or a running faucet or you know, whatever, but I've seen it as a running toilet being the most kind of disastrous to our bottom line. Yeah. And yeah, for $4 and, a, and a, a person going in, you know, you spend 50 bucks to send a guy in and he fixes it for $4 part, you, you know, the amount of money you're saving on that is, is astronomical. So we, we, we know that would be something that keeps me up at night probably is replacing the whole infrastructure of a park. Yeah. Do you guys use Metron Farnier for the? Well, we do. We do. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. We we just purchased a park that had submeters on it, and we just re-updated, removed all those old meters, and put Metron on there because of that radio read. You know, yes. instantly yes. if someone's leaking, and in yes. the northern states where it gets cold, that is like <laughs> that could amount to thousands of dollars if you don't catch it. So absolutely, absolutely, worth every yeah. penny. Yeah. And I mean, freezing lines are probably the other thing that, you know, I have to listen to hear about from time to time, you know, with people. So, yeah. um, you know, things are like that, but you know, the, probably the catastrophic thing would be a, a park that's hit by a tornado, but outside of that, it's more of an infrastructure problem or road yeah. problem or sewer backup or something stuff, like that. Stuff you try to catch up front and do diligence, exactly. right? So exactly. you can budget for and account for. Exactly. Wow. I mean, you've added a ton of value to me, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate um, it. Thank if you. our listeners would like to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah. I, I always give my cell phone number out. I know it's a little bit abnormal, but um, I have found by giving my cell phone number to listeners on podcasts that they've actually contacted me and it's been a great way for me to premium provide mentorship for people. And so um, I, I do that willingly and I don't charge anything and, you know, people can call me and I've got a couple now that have called me and we, we continue to keep in conversation and really there's no, it's not, no, no ulterior motive to it for me. I mean, I'm just trying to help young people or people who are new in the business. Um, as a doctor, I've had residents and medical students my whole life that I've trained or been, have been under me. So I, you know, want to keep that going in, in this in this world that I'm in now, which is in the real estate world. So, um, you know, people can reach me directly on my cell phone, 402-850-1315. Um, they can get a hold of me on our website, uh, easylivingcommunities.com. And, uh, you know, my, my email is Sumit, S-U-M-E-E-T, 
at easylivingcommunities.com. So any of those ways is you know perfectly fine to get a hold of me and, and happy to help anyone I can. Awesome. Well, that's great. And I'll make sure to put those in the show notes. Okay. Uh, but thank you so much, Samit, for coming on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, thank you for having me, Andrew, and, and getting this time together. Definitely. Well, that's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at PassiveMHPInvesting for photos and awesome videos from our recent Mobile Home Park acquisitions. Once again, that's at PassiveMHPInvesting on Instagram. See you there.